Music from the band Enigma. And uh, Jim, what's the title of that brand new release? Uh, the brand brand new release is called Moon. And uh, that was the, the first song off that release. A nice, uh, powerful tune about basically don't mess with the local witch. Uh, was that actually crickets I heard? That, it, that, that was my, that. my ear challenge. Those were crickets, yes, and an owl. And uh, uh, they like to do some interesting things with sound. Speaking of powerful, how do you like the coffee? Good. It's very good. Jack, reach your coffee. So how you been, my friend? Pretty good. Pretty good. We, we survived the remote broadcast last weekend. I heard from so many people that they really dug it. It was really cool. Wow. That Grant Cameron. Whew. And uh, Ryan Evans did a superb job of running the board on this end. He's a real pro. Thanks, Ryan. He's had some practice. He has. Thanks, Ryan, very much. And uh, you guys, uh, Colleen, Jim, thanks so much for being here. Um, it's so a lot of fun. To get this out of the way, it's my birthday tomorrow. Happy, happy birthday, Scott. Happy birthday to me. There. You didn't bring cake. We, no, I didn't. I brought coffee. <laughs> okay, that, that, that'll work. And Colleen, this is really good. This is Jack Reacher coffee, too, if you want some. Yeah, I'm the cup ready. Um, oh, she has her cup ready. <clears throat> thank you, Lon, for calling in. Appreciate hearing from you. I hope you're doing well as, um, as well. Scott Colborn with Colleen and Jim. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. <laughs> and part, part of my duties as a kind of head producer is pouring the coffee for everyone here. So <laughs> we're all good now. Charlene is on assignment, but we're going to do kind of our own version of pet talk today. Okay, cool. Uh, we've got pet pictures with Santa that took place uh, yesterday, and it'll be again on the 13th. And it is 5 to 8 at Camp Bow Wow. That's the place with a fun name to say, Camp Bow Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Love I, it. I can't help but wonder what the critters think of all this this uh, festivity with the red costumes and and whatnot. They appear to, to like it. There's people who go back every year and have the pictures uh -huh. taken and, of course, incorporate that into their ho holiday uh, greeting cards and things. So. <laughs> Uh, we've got coming up on Sunday, December 2nd, Pioneers Park. There'll be a 5K and a one mile, and uh, proceeds go to benefit the Capital Humane Society. And we've got a critter adoption um, that is current right now, 50% uh, off adoption fees for wow. critters. Hmm. We talk about dogs and cats for adoption. Well, they have other... Uh, animals as well mm -hmm. so critters you can get 50% off on adoption there uh, we're going to stick today just to the tried and true dogs and cats for adoption and uh, so we're going to start with cats for adoption from the Capital Humane Society and I don't know if if one of you want to pick one of these cats here on page one. Oh, let's go with AJ <laughs> up in the upper right corner there <laughs> uh, just just as the uh, the anacronym sounds, AJ is definitely looking at something the photographer's got. Yeah, I would say things are looking up for AJ. Very curious. Six-month-old domestic neutered male, and he gets along well with other cats. You can see his picture at CapitalHumaneSociety.org, and uh, you'll be able to go out today and tomorrow and also see AJ. What a fun picture. 
Okay, can you see uh, those, Colleen? Uh, she, she's looking at the tablet here, so uh, she'll pick one quickly. Let's, no pressure. Let's look at Colton. He yeah, should be at the, bottom, the bottom there. Good <laughs> yeah, good choice. Colton looks exactly like my cat, Sinanda. <laughs> Almost wow. exact in terms of markings on the head and coloration <laughs> and that kind of like uh, intelligent yet wary look. Uh, Colton, a two-year-old neutered male, and he's a charming cat. <laughs> yeah, and Colleen, you picked a charming yeah, a cat. charming cat. He's looking for a home with people who will take excellent care of him. We're not talking about average care or fair care. Excellent care. Excellent and uh, care, sure. That's probably most of you folks out there. So Colton, uh, beautiful cat, and his picture's up. An all-gray kitty with some tabby markings on the face. What a beautiful cat. Okay, so I'm going to go all the way to page four. Okie dokie. And I think it's important to have Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> Zeus, yes, let's do Zeus. There's Zeus. Z-E-U-S, Zeus. He's a one-year-old neutered male, and uh, he's got one paw sort of, maybe it just tried to bat something, but it's up in the air. And head cocked, uh, very inquisitive. And he's got that diagonal white stripe that kind of runs down alongside one one side of his uh his nose there so all right he's got white booties so zeus joins our cat triumphant you can see all these great cats and more at capitalhumanesociety.org and they're open at the pylock pet adoption center today i believe <clears throat> at 10 o'clock i think that sounds all right and uh, they'll be open tomorrow there as well hours are up at capitalhumanesociety.org Okay, and we have only one page of dogs today, which is, uh, I guess that's a good thing because they don't have that many that need adoption. Okay, Jim, do you want to pick our first well, dog here? Well, how about, let's start out with Lily. We're going for the upper right corner again. A Australian cattle dog pit bull mix. Well, that's interesting. And uh, look at the markings, too. Kind yeah. of a speckled. Um, Lily is a one-year-old spayed female, weighs 58 pounds, and uh, Australian cattle dog and pit bull mix. So uh, when introduced to another dog, Lily was friendly, and she should meet all children prior to adoption. She might be too much for young kids. Probably would try to herd your kids. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> yep, beautiful dog. Uh, and uh, look at those eyes. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, you betcha. Okay, uh, so Colleen, did she just step she, out? She just stepped out to make a phone call. Um, Baby Girl is a, a dog that's been here since uh, early last year. And uh, so Baby Girl's been there almost a year now. We'd love to have her connect with somebody that is just right for her. Uh, she's a happy dog, and you can see the intelligence in her face. She's two years old, a shepherd pit bull. She's 61 years old, and uh, she'd love to meet you. She'd love to uh, sit for a treat, and uh, she loves to run in figure eights, toss toys in the air, and she's very smart. So we'd love to have you meet baby girl. 
and please do so today and tomorrow. Jim, how about a third dog? How about Maggie? Okay, and Maggie's at Camp Bow Wow. Oh, look at that mix, Jim. A Walker Coonhound mix. I thought that was an interesting-looking dog from the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 11-month-old spade female Walker Coonhound mix, 40 pounds. She loves daily exercise, and she's okay with her other dogs. It's recommended that she meet kids in the family before adoption. And so there you have it. We've got three dogs, and, of course, there's a few more. Pictures are up at capitalhumanesociety.org, and they're open today and tomorrow at the Pylock Pet Adoption Center. The hours are on the website, capitalhumanesociety.org. And we'd love to have you contact us and say, gosh, we heard pet talk, and we went out and adopted a dog or a cat or maybe even a couple of animals. Uh, so appreciate that. Make the Capital Humane Society the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. Uh, so, Jim, I, uh, a week ago, was in my hotel room at the Aquarius mm-hmm. Casino Resort, and uh, I had passed out my card to a bunch of people, and right about uh, our time, about 10.35, who walks in but my friend Grant Cameron from Canada. And so I asked Grant to stay for the entire show, and he was very gracious and did so. And uh, he's the same in person as he is um, behind a lectern. Mm -hmm. He gets very involved. He uses his hands a lot, and he moves around in the air. (laughs) And he just, he conveys that he is so interested in this. Uh Um, And that came across on the the air. It really did. Super. It was a great segment. So uh, it was a great conference. I was there from Thursday and then took off Monday to come back to Lincoln. My uh, return trip was uneventful until I uh, tried to fly from Denver to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we got out in the plane. The plane taxied about 100 yards, and then the pilot stopped, brought the engines up to a high RPM, and held them for about two minutes obviously doing some sort of diagnostic or another check. And he brought the RPM down and got on the PA and said, ladies and gentlemen, we've got an engine problem. Hmm. And I think as soon as that is uttered, they have to provide another plane. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know, I wouldn't like to, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll stay on the plane and, and, you know, let them fix the engine, and then I'll be the first person to test it out, yeah. (laughs) So they took us back to the terminal. Uh, The head of United Airlines Public Relations got on the plane and apologized, but said, you know, safety is first, Mm -hmm. and we're sorry for the delay, but this is really critically important. Everybody said, yep. Yep. So we got off and hung around for about 45 minutes, and they had an identical plane for us. And uh, they walked us down a back corridor, walked us downstairs into a back downstairs corridor. We walked the length of about two football fields. Then we actually walked out onto the tarmac, shades of 1970s, and we walked up to the plane, and then there was this long steel ramp. No stairs, just a long ramp. We walked up the ramp, and Mm -hmm. I thought, this is what I did in 1978 when I flew. And uh, that flight was uneventful. Great uh, pilot, great crew, and uh, the... uh, the stewardess said, uh, oh, you like the coffee, huh? Would you like a second cup? I said, yep, you bet. So good uh, good service, 
Good flight. Good to be back. I slept like a log that night. Well, and kudos to the pilot for discovering the problem and doing the right thing. Heck yes. Yeah. yeah heck yes. I'm Scott Colborn with Colleen and Jim, and we are exploring unexplained phenomena. We've got our friend Rosemary Ellen Guiley on the line. And Rosemary, where do we find you this morning? Well, I'm home in Connecticut for a change, Scott. I've been busy wrapping up uh, another book, which will be out in January. What I have on my mind lately is time. And this book is on time travel, teleportation, and Ah. slips in time and space. It's got some dynamite material in it. And I'm just getting it into production this weekend. Wow. What an interesting subject. I've, I've got two accounts that I can share with you sometime, Rosemary, but can you, can you maybe pick if one of those is still kind of fresh in your mind and tell us about what a time slip or something like that, what it's like? Uh, yes, we've got some dramatic stories of time slips. These are spontaneous things that happen to people uh, when they're not expecting it, which is different from... <clears throat> deliberate attempts to time travel. And typically this happens to people who are out uh, in a kind of dissociated state of mind. They're out having a good time somewhere, and suddenly things change. Uh, Now I open the book with an account by Jenny Randalls about a case that was studied by the Society for Psychical Research in England, and it involved a husband and wife who went for an outing one Sunday in Surrey, and they wanted to go to a favorite church of theirs that had some lovely grounds. They visited the church, they walked inside, and when they came out, uh, they thought they they noticed that suddenly uh, more time had passed than they thought. This is the characteristic of time slips, missing time. And so they decided to have lunch. So they sat down on a bench, and uh, the wife suddenly started to feel very strange and oppressive, and suddenly the environment shifted where it wasn't the environment they walked out into. It was very different. And there were figures in this environment, three figures in dark clothing that seemed to be kind of clerical garb, but not from the modern day. And um, the wife felt uh, an urge to to leave. She didn't feel comfortable. Uh, There was a path uh, going down uh, one side of the, uh, the grounds of the church and some woods, and so they decided to hustle out of the area. Well, this disturbed the wife so much that she decided to go back herself and see if um, she would have the same experience. And the short of it is that what the couple learned was that the environment they walked out into did not exist in the present. It existed in the past. There was no path. There was no bench that they sat on when, when they were going to have their lunch. And astonishingly, one of the three figures in clerical garb was identified as a known historical person uh, from previous times. And in fact, there had been a three monks in the past who had been executed in the area. Oh, and uh, these three figures may have have been that. Uh, and so this was studied by the Society for Psychical Research to see, you know, was this a hallucination? Uh, is there any natural explanation? And Jenny Randalls, in her typical fashion, does a wonderful, thorough job of examining every aspect of this case. Well, the nut of it is, Scott, that there are certain characteristics that happen in time slips. They're very consistent. They don't all happen in every case, but one is 
of course, a shift in an environment. Suddenly, uh, the environment appears very different. And not only does it appear different, it has a tone to it that's very unsettling. It's flat, kind of one-dimensional. There might be a creepy feeling to the atmosphere or some kind of electrical charge in the area. It's incredibly still. And this is something that the couple noticed as well, a stillness. No birdsong, no animals, no background noise, no other people. There's a silence, a creepy silence to it. There's missing time when the experience is over. Some of these things happen to people on the road. And I've documented uh, some cases of truckers who, who uh, have had uh, time and space slip experiences along certain what you would call haunted highways. And they're, they're like caught in this warp for a while, and then suddenly they come out of it. Another characteristic is a sudden change in weather. Stormy weather, storm clouds appear on the horizon. There's a sudden fog, a sudden mist that envelops the people. And uh, we find these characteristics, especially with Bermuda Triangle stories. So uh, something happens. There seems to be a configuration of energy. It might be due to the land or the consciousness of the people or both, where this portal opens up. And we don't have... A retrocognition, that is a clairvoyant seeing into the past, not a vision. It's a real experience where we are transported to another environment in another era. And as you can imagine, this is very unsettling for people. We're, so I have a section on that, uh, spontaneous experience, uh, spontaneous experiences uh, f- from all over the place uh, up to modern times. And a section on time travel. What are the physics of time travel? Is this something we could master? What are the dangers? What are the pros and cons? And there's a wonderful interview, fake on an exclusive interview with Michio Kaku, um, which is featured in this section as well. I have a section on teleportation. And then a special section on the Bermuda Triangle and other areas in the ocean that have these uh, strange qualities where ships and planes go mysteriously missing or there are these weird aberrations of space and weather. Uh, And then, of course, when it comes to time travel, you can't possibly ignore the Philadelphia experiment. Mm -hmm. And so we have a number of articles on was it or was it not a big hoax? And, uh, of course, I think most people think that um, uh, the story about the Philadelphia experiment, um, if there ever was such a thing, well, a lot of it got embroidered and fabricated. But it still leaves open the possibility of um, could there be some experiments going on covertly that have to do with invisibility cloaking and, and time travel, such mm-hmm. as what happened to the USS Eldridge in the 1940s. So that's the nut of it, and I'm so excited about it because uh, these uh, these articles are all drawn from the FATE archives and uh, written by experts and experiencers, and um, they, they really provide uh, an interesting, thought-provoking perspective on the mysteries of linear time. Have the, uh, the FATE archives for somebody like yourself, have they been digitized or... Do you do you actually go someplace and look through file cabinets? It's a manual job, Scott. Uh, now, some of the fate archives have been digitized um, from about 2008 onward, but that leaves out hundreds of issues between 1948 and 2008 um, that are just sitting around in hard copy. And uh, I'm blessed to have 
almost an entire collection. I'm not vis- missing very many issues. And so what I do for all of these anthologies, and let's see, I've done uh, one, two, three, four. This is number five. Mm-hmm. Um, it's manual work. Uh, there are a couple of crude indexes. I check those first. But a lot of it's going through every single issue and earmarking of the articles that I want to use, scanning them, uh, converting those into a Word document, and scanning the art also uh, out uh, of the articles. Uh, Many of these uh, features in the anthologies have the original art with them. And uh, so that's, uh, I think, an added value for the collection. So it's time-consuming, but I consider it very rewarding because uh, fate has been at the forefront of everything mysterious since it was launched by Curtis Fuller and Ray Palmer in 1948 on the heels of Kenneth Arnold's UFO sighting over Mount Rainier. And it's covered the gamut of everything mysterious. Um, And these articles have historical value. Uh, They certainly have research value. Uh, They're very current in their perspectives and uh, information, and uh, I think they're educational and informative as well, not to mention entertaining. Mm-hmm. The USS Eldridge um, that was uh, at the heart of the uh, Philadelphia experiment, uh, it was thought that, that we were trying to come up with a way to camouflage or disguise our ships from um, uh, foreign submarines and, and foreign ships. You know, if we could somehow cloak our ships uh, with a form of invisibility, uh, that would that would save many, many lives and thousands of tons of, of goods and things that we were losing to both the Germans as well as the Japanese submarines. Um, and, you know, uh, the, the time slips seem to also transfer into a lot of other phenomena that we normally call by a different name, like, for example, the UFO mystery. Uh, Rosemary, you know well, exactly, so many. and I have a wonderful article from Tim Swartz on UFOs and time sure. displacement. Uh, because many people who have contact experiences and, of course, abductions, they they experience the same thing—a shift in environment. Uh, they're propelled into some weird uh, reality, and there is a displacement of time. Mm-hmm. So, do you have a working title yet for the book? The book is called uh, Slips in Time and Space, and uh, I have a gorgeous cover already designed for it. I posted it on Facebook yesterday. People want to go to my Facebook page, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. They can see that. And the book will be out in early January. Oh, my goodness. We've got to have you back on to talk about that. This is such an interesting subject. I really hope so, Scott, because there's so much meaty material in this topic. Um, And I, I love the picture of you and Joe with your backs to the Manhattan skyline that I saw recently. What a a fun time we had. We were actually in New Jersey visiting some friends over the weekend, uh, last weekend, and we learned, surprisingly, that Joe's brother was in town for some business meetings, and things had come together very quickly for him, and he sent us an email saying, hey, guess what? I'm in Jersey City. <laughs> and uh, so we were able to have dinner with him, and we took a walk along uh, the waterfront there. It's a gorgeous view of the skyline, and it captured some really neat photos. What's coming up for your publishing company besides the book that you just mentioned, VisionaryLivingPublishing.com? Well, I have a pretty full dance card already for next year. <laughs> uh, 
I have uh, more fiction coming out, by the way. I've got some thriller, uh, horror, and more romance fiction coming out. But in March, I have uh, two significant books. One is a metaphysical book on uh, enlightenment, and uh, it's a it's a meditational journey through the chakras for uh, achieving um, a more spiritualized consciousness, uh, written by Guinevere Maria, who had some profound mystical experiences and transformed them into a beautiful book. And then uh, Greg Lawson, who is so popular on the paranormal circuit with his uh, detective paranormal workshops. He's an ex-cop and detective, and he talks about how to bring uh, crime detection and law enforcement uh, uh, investigative techniques into paranormal work. So his book is How to Be a Paranormal Detective. Excellent. And in April, then, I have um, a wonderful work from Bob Davis coming uh, on uh, the integration of science and spirituality. Bob is a neuroscientist. Uh, we work together on free uh, for quite some time, and we're now collaborating on, on other projects. And uh, he's also in one of my other anthologies uh, on mysteries of the afterlife, on transformative experiences of um, uh, years. And I think that his book is... Uh, going to expand the boundaries of where science, mysticism, and uh, the supernatural all intersect. Mm -hmm. So that's what's coming up in the near future. And then I've got things uh, planned off on into the fall, but we can talk about those later. Rosemary, it's always so good to talk with you. And thanks so much for um, agreeing to be on today. I, I appreciate that. And I've made a note here. Uh, to talk to you about that time slip book and try to get you down for a full segment guest spot here. Um, I can't wait to, well, to talk to you about that. That would be great, and as soon as it's off the press, of course, you'll have a copy. And uh, I think the listeners will find it to be very interesting material. Uh, I, I love all of the books that I do, whether they're mine or these fate anthologies or other people's books. But I, I will say that this one really engaged me more than a lot of others, uh, just because we find time so fascinating and linear time, you know, how malleable is it? Clearly it is, or people wouldn't be having these experiences. Mm -hmm. Okay, Rosemary, last question. What are you and Joe doing for the rest of the weekend? Uh, well, we are going to relax a bit, um, believe it or not. <laughs> we we have a rare weekend at home, but I have two events coming up next week, so we will be getting into some prep for that. We have um, a meetup with a fabulous paranormal group in Fishkill, New York, Monday night, and then one of my favorite metaphysical events, the Victory of Light, uh, this coming weekend in Cincinnati, which is always a huge event, uh, so high energy, and, and uh, the turnout is so fabulous for it. Uh, and then those are my last events of this year. Once Thanksgiving hits, um, I, I just take the rest of the year off in terms of events. Mm -hmm. More information on Rosemary and her work at two websites, VisionaryLiving.com and VisionaryLivingPublishing.com. Rosemary, the best to you from us. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Scott, and you have a great weekend, too. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, the Queen of the Paranormal, fantastic! I am so excited about that time slip book. Oh, and I I just looked that up on uh, <clears throat> on her Facebook page, and that is a really cool image for the cover. I think that's, it's April uh, Slaughter awesome. is the is the artist that did that. Yeah, great, great cover art. Great cover art.
Well, this is going to tie in, in a way, with um, our guest coming up, uh, Bill Hall, because uh, he's got a uh, bit in here in his book, Phantom Messages, about some time displacements mm-hmm. that we can kind of get into also. I, I always think of uh, our, our friend Dale Bacon's story about the North Platte Canteen. We're going to talk is, about that coming up. Yeah, that's one of my favorite stories. Okay, folks, Scott Colborn with Jim and Colleen and you guys and gals. We just had a fascinating segment with Rosemary and Guiley. And we're going to do some breaks now, and then we'll be back with our main guest, Bill Hall, the co-author with Jimmy uh, Pettinito of Phantom Messages, chilling phone calls, letters, emails, and texts from unknown realms. Stay tuned for more right after this. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Recycling Council, helping to protect the natural environment and extend the life of our landfill, reminding Lincoln and Lancaster County that corrugated cardboard will not be accepted at the landfill. For more on recycling services and area drop-off sites, nrcne.org or 406 2384. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturday is 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Music from Enigma from their previous recording called Cobalt. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim and Colleen. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. It's sure great to be with you on this Saturday morning, November 10th. 
Uh, we've got a guest who returns for a second appearance. We didn't scare him off the first time. Well, that's good. And uh, Bill Hall is with us. He's the author with Jimmy Pettinito of Phantom Messages, Chilling Phone Calls, Letters, Emails, and Texts from Unknown Realms. We've uh, talked about his previous books on the show, uh, The Haunted House Diaries, The World's Most Haunted House. William Hall is an experienced researcher of the unexplained from folklore and urban legend to fortune-telling the pyramids and other mysterious tales. He's been interviewed around the world, and uh, his syndicated column, Magic and the Unknown, ran for six years in multiple newspapers. He's got two sons and resides in Plainville, Connecticut. And uh, our best to Jimmy Pettinito. He was going to be with Bill today, but has a, a, a engagement that he can't miss. So we've got at least one half of the duo here with us. Mr. Bill Hall, how are you? I'm doing great. It's great to uh, be talking to you again, Scott, because uh, especially after following each other on Facebook for so long, you know. <laughs> Boy, this new book is just relentless. I picked it up, and I had a oh. hard time to oh, put I this love down. That word. I like that the word. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, I it, love that word. It just, you should have you review it. <laughs> it. It just keeps on going. Tell me, tell me the genesis or basis for this, that you and Jimmy wrote this book. Well, uh, uh, Jimmy and I had been friends uh, for a few years, and uh, Jimmy called me out of the blue and said, you know, you know, I want to write a book. Um, and uh, he says, you know, uh, and I, you know, I want to have like, uh, you know, and he mentioned a few local urban legends. And I, and I said, well, I said, you know, the urban, local urban legends, I mean, I love that stuff. Um, and you know, I was going to do that kind of book, too. But I said, I, you know, I looked into the audience and the sales and all that. And, and, and I said, the other problem is, I said, you're an experienced paranormal researcher, you know. I mean, he's done almost 50. He's assisted with almost 50 exorcisms, which Jimmy admits about half they would have went to jail if they did today. But, you know, you know but. Uh, but, uh, and, and, and Jimmy doesn't claim to know whatever it is, but, uh, you know, like any of us who have paranormal ex experience of any kind, no matter what you attribute it to, it's, uh, um, you know, it, it's something that, uh, you know, is not, uh, not the norm. So I said, well, you've got all this experience. This would be a shame to do an urban legend book that's going to end up, you know, not selling that much, you know? I said, uh, it, you know, you should do something, uh, you know, really cool. And he's like, you know, like what? And I'm like, well, and I went and I looked through a few. I had emails of, uh, you know, book ideas that I didn't write, you know. <laughs> and one of them was to, I don't know, do something with phone calls from the dead. Um, and then uh, Callum Cooper's book uh, came out, which really was an update to phone calls to the dead. So, well, I don't want to do the same thing. Um, but Jimmy and I were talking because the phone calls from the dead is a big, uh, a big favorite of both of ours. We said, well, no one has really looked at the phenomena, you know, across the paranormal, you know, you know, there's been phone calls from the dead. There's been UFO kind of phone call interference and all that, you know, there's been those things and we have these examples in our paranormal libraries, but, uh, you know, let's it together and look at it fresh and see 
calling? Are they using computers now? Are they texting? Are they, um, you know, what, what's happening now that things have changed technologically, for example? So that's kind of the genesis of it. We fell in love with it. And I, I said, yeah, I was too busy to do a book on my own and uh, Jimmy too. And we said, hey, let's team up. This, can, this will be fun. So um, that's the long-winded answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's that was great because it covers um, a lot of ground, and yet it's not a, a shallow uh, coverage because there is, uh, a, again, it just, it's... Uh, uh, relentless in the information it presents that you start to wonder about your, as Nick Redfern said, when your own cell phone rings, you start to wonder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and, and what fascinates me is, uh, you know, if you mention, which I do, of course, fan of messages, somebody, um, they'll instantly think, Oh, somebody got static on their phone or, Oh, somebody, thought they recognize a voice. You know, the usual, uh, it's easy to dismiss something if you don't have the details or the context or anything. Uh, but when you really look at these cases, um, it's, uh, you know, those those kinds of surface, you know, the numbers were all zeros, you know. I mean, all, none of those made it to the book. I mean, those are all the explainable, you know, easy uh, kind of thing. Uh, what we're talking about... Um, there's uh, what I call kind of different layers of uh, confidence, you know, like uh, some cases uh, only have the one person there. So obviously, you know, they can tell you, hey, it wasn't hallucinating. But of course, that's the thing about hallucination. If you don't know you're hallucinating, but uh, but they, you know, they're good people. And, um, you know, the cases seemed very solid. Uh, and, you know, but the majority even had witnesses. So when you have witnesses, now, of course, you get an extra level. Um, and the other way I look at it is uh, across, was it static or was it real communication? Was it was it phone calls uh, that were made or was it actual contact? You know, so you look at all of that. And so there are different types. Um, and not that one is invalid just because it doesn't have these multiple indicators or whatever, but certainly the most fascinating are the ones that ring all the bells. You know, they have a prediction. They have, you know, contact from a, somebody, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's all kind of levels. Uh, so we tried to really get to the most fascinating ones. And, we, you know, we debunked a few in there that, uh, you know, that you come across. Uh, not people faking, just uh, we, we normally come across, as I'm sure you do, you know, misinterpretation. Yeah, in the back of the book, uh, Phantom Messages, is also a bonus section, which is sort of like some more icing on top of an already really tasty cake, because they've got a number of cases in the back of the book that if you're interested in the ghost phenomena, if you're interested in the UFO phenomena, there is going to be a, a case or two back there that will really be of interest to you. And I thought that was a kind of a nice gesture on your part and, and Jimmy's part. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, the, the genesis of that was, uh, you know, we had some cool things that we wanted to get into a book. And uh, we're like, well, that's not fan of messages. Uh, and Jimmy's like, well, you know, what about a bonus chapter? So, oh, that's a good idea. So, hey, let's put this case in, too. And how about this case that you have?
yeah, that's a great page. You know, because you know you, you always do it. You don't know. You know, uh, you know, get hit by a truck. It's the last book. At least we got those. You know, those cases in print. You know, no, <laughs> but uh, so we thought it'd be cool to have uh, some, uh, and, and some of it was just. Uh, coming, some of it was uh, completely new, like the troll chapter, which oh, is one of my favorites. Yeah, the troll chapter was not like it, it wasn't like an old case or anything. That was, uh, I was over uh, a college, uh, actually, a fraternity brother, good friend from college. I was over his house, and um, you know, I know him and his wife well, and so yeah, you know, never came up in conversation. And I don't know, it just came up somehow. and and my buddy Tony goes, oh, you know, ask ask my uh, wife about the trolls. I said, what are you talking about? Yeah, ask her about the trolls. Yeah, and, and Bill uh, Bill is actually saying that that word troll, T R O L L. This is not somebody that stalks somebody or puts something blatantly on Facebook. This is the yeah, the Harry Potter, the the trolls. Well, you know, that's the way. Um, you know, they're, you know, of course, now we have to separate mythology from, you know, the paranormal experience, of course. But um, uh, I use, the, I mean, they use the word trolls, not because they believe they were trolls, but because that was the best way to describe how ugly they were and kind of how they looked, wrinkled face. You know, they match that lore, whether they're not saying that they, you know. You know what I mean? They're they're regular people. They're not saying these are trolls. They're saying I'm calling them trolls because that's what they look like. You know, <laughs> the best I could, mm-hmm. you know, match it, it would be like a troll or a gnome or some crap. You know, yeah, uh, you know, they're not mythology experts, but you know, troll comes to mind. And the other interesting thing is there are other cases of these creature sightings, and um, and these trolls, they're commonly described as trolls so that doesn't you know we're not saying they're trolls we're just saying that that is a common descriptor of this whatever it was whatever it is you know uh, we don't pretend to know but anyhow so that just came up in conversation and then i talked to um tony's wife and um stacy who you know i i mean i trust and she's saying she's telling me the story i'm like oh my god she's like oh yeah well you talk to my mother and my sister and i'm like oh yeah yeah so you know, so, uh, you know we talked to them all and it was uh, it was fascinating and tell you the know. as long as we're on this tell the listeners a little bit about that case with the trolls then um we've kind of oh, set sure. the stage yeah, for it good and, point i um, i didn't mean to go on about the trolls but that was an example of a bonus case that i mean it wasn't planned on it just came up during the you know while it was being written yeah tell um, us tell us a little bit about yeah. uh what the the family was experiencing yeah so um <clears throat> so this was in bridgeport uh, connecticut yeah, home of Lindley Street. <laughs> um, so, uh, so again, Stacy, she's a personal friend of mine. You know, Tony's uh, Tony's wife. Uh, when she was growing up, her family lived in a three-family home, uh, which still exists. I have a picture of it in the book. Um, uh, Stacy and her brother had, uh, you know, their bedroom in the attic floor of uh, that apartment, and uh, there's a big chimney chimney. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm an author. I'm supposed to be able to say that word, right? Oh, God. 
chimney in the middle of the uh, of the attic there, and then their bedrooms uh, were to the back. Uh, some people have been around a while might be familiar with that kind of setup. But anyhow, uh, so uh, you know, one night Stacy just woke up. Uh, she heard uh, something scratching. She thought it was a mouse or something. You know, she got scared anyhow because you know she's a little girl. Um, and she was looking around trying to you know find out what it was. She couldn't see anything, so she went back to bed. And then she heard the scratching sounds again, uh, coming from what she could perceive as the behind the chimney. Um, and so she went over there and she finally saw this thing. She's looking straight at them. She said, three little ugly. Uh, she it just the way she, her exact words were three little ugly, ugly looking trolls. That's how I would describe them. Mm-hmm. Trolls. <laughs> I remember her words. <laughs> that was and, and you know, of course I know Stacy, so I can picture her saying it while I say that. But uh she said there was one on the bottom, another one on top of that one, and a third on top of that one. Almost like a uh, Three Stooges way. sort of, uh, you know, peering yeah, around yeah, a, a corner. Yeah, she didn't know if they were just like, yeah, tearing one on top of each other, which is what I got out of it. Uh, but it, it was it was kind of, it was difficult to describe. So, you know, and of course, in the parent, you know, she doesn't even know if they're solid or what. It appears so by what happened. But, you know, um, and uh, yeah, one was like, uh, hugging the, you know, reached w- with an arm around, you know, hugging the chimney, uh, and she saw their faces, you know, she said they're disgusting, um, and their heads kind of bobbed about, and, uh, of course, she was scared, and um, that these things are scratching at the window, you know, and um, so she ran, of course, one under the covers, which is, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do in this stuff. Uh, <laughs> Uh, if our parents taught us well, right, they taught you to get un- under the covers, nothing can hurt you. Right. That's that's <laughs> safety place. Yeah. At, at least they want you to get the heck to bed. But anyhow. <laughs> okay. So, uh, let's see. Let's see. All right. Let's see. What did she do next here? She, oh. She knew what she saw. You know, she first tried to. Um, she never told anyone about it, though. Um, but of course, she knew how crazy it found it. And it wasn't until a few years later she was talking to her brother about the house and their bedrooms, and and uh, she asked her brother Matt, um, you know, have you uh, seen anything up there? And he said, uh, "You've seen them too." <laughs> And uh, so they got to talking, and, um, you know, he described them as ugly little goblins or trolls. Uh, He saw three of them, too. And um, so, of course, then she knew at least she wasn't losing her mind. And, um, you know, he saw them peering in uh, from the window, uh, too. And then uh, Stacy's mother told him when her brother was up there, he used to have uh, skulls and light candles. Uh, but uh, Stacy doesn't think that has anything to do with it. Just like, he just like gothic stuff, which is old-fashioned. <laughs> so, given the complete story. No. But, uh, 
So with the, with the and, goblin uh, experience that Stacy had, and then she talked to her brother, and he said he had similar experiences. You then, uh, you and Jimmy, in the in the towards the end of the book, have got a uh, section on theories. And if you if you laid that chapter on top of the story, what are we left with? We've talked about the possibility of a hallucination. Uh, and, you know, if it's because of too much pepperoni before somebody went to bed, if it's a uh, undiagnosed mental condition, if it's something that a person's experienced, you know, periodically in their life. So we talked about hallucinations. Right. What else could it be? Um, you know, that's, that's a great question. Um, uh, I, of course, I don't believe they're hallucinations. That would be ridiculous. Um, if I'm alone, though, that's always a consideration. And, uh, you know, my dear friend Mark D'Antonio, the astrophysicist, I have to say that because it means I have an intelligent friend. It makes me sound <laughs> intelligent. But anyhow, <laughs> but anyhow uh, uh, you know, but it's, uh, Mark, Mark believes in the paranormal. He's experienced paranormal, but he's, um, he's um, very, very scientific. Um, that's why uh, Paulino and I and a few others, we call him uh, resident buzzkill because, you know, you show him a photo you think is cool and he'll tell you, no, that's a reflection of this. And, you know, <laughs> but you got to have somebody like that, you know, uh, the bearer of bad news. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're not an optics expert, you'll never know if you got anything that might, you know, you can never tell if it is paranormal. You can only tell if it's, well, that's something weird that seems to fit with everything else. You know, so he's understandably but, uh, cautious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because we don't know. You know, and I'm open to say I don't know. I always tell people, I say, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of people who claim to know exactly what everything is. I mean, you can know what they are by their behavior, so you can get to that point. No problem with that. Well, I'm an expert. I've seen poltergeists before. This is the poltergeist. No problem. You know, I, I, I'm with you on that. But then when you say, you know, the poltergeist is a demon called Fred and he likes peanut butter and, you know, and this is what he does. And, you know, then you're getting to the point where, you know, you're going beyond your, your credentials, you know. Well, coming back to this, um, this, this uh, oh, troll story, troll. we know that, that in our everyday experience, most of us don't encounter trolls. And so, um, and we're, exactly. we're using that descriptive term to describe these little um, people that um, uh, facially are very different, uh, perhaps deformed, perhaps uh, beautifully right. u- ugly, if you will. So does it suggest that there could be uh, some sort of a uh, portal or a window, as John Keel used to call it, uh, quite literally, a pun upon puns, a window outside of that window that these trolls oh, were... Oh, yeah, I like uh, that. Appearing, oh, darn. you know, from you some other place. I'm sorry, you should have proofed that chapter. You could have put that in. That's beautiful. A window outside the window. Darn. Sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm like, wow, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, so, you should have wrote that. No. So it could be a <laughs> could be a portal. Um, yeah, is there any yeah. chance that? And with all due respect to people that are are short, could we have? a practical joke or a hoaxer of three little people up there on the roof <laughs> that are trying to um, perpetuate a, a hoax with this woman. Yes, and that would be, well, 
that that would be my number one guess, except the story continues uh, with Stacy's mother and um, and um, uh, the mother's uh, sister um, because there's more to the troll story. Were these? Uh, uh, I well, I know uh, Stacy's mother Susan was about six or seven, and uh, Roseanne, her sister, was about. Uh, four or five when it happened, she said. Um, and this was in a different house. And um, it was the same thing. In order to get to the attic, they have to go up the wood floors. And at the, at the top, there's doors led to the eaves of the attic. You know, they used for storage. Uh, and there was some lighting, but it was pretty dim, you know, just enough to kind of get around. And, um, you know, one night Susan was going up the stairs. She looked to the right where those uh, doors are to the ease, and she saw a creature slowly open one of the doors and peek its head out. Whoa! <clears throat> and she, yeah, she described this wrinkly uh, uh, of some sort, um, and she saw more of them in there. And um, she couldn't make out any clothes, or I, I had asked her all about it. She couldn't make out any clothes or ears or any other details. She she only knew. Uh, you know, she saw the face and she was shivering, you know, in fear. Uh, they, they, she said they were not good looking at all. So, again, mm-hmm. it, come, it always comes up. They're ugly. They're wrinkly. That seems to be the common. And then they describe, they inevitably go to the word, you know, gnome, troll, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. But usually troll. Maybe it's just a more common and easier to, you know, grasp term. You know, for somebody, you know, it's a troll, you know, that kind of, because we describe things that are ugly. Oh, she was a troll or he was a troll or, you know, so maybe that's, you know, unnatural. Um, and so she went downstairs to tell her parents, of course, you know, they, <laughs> yeah, sure, there's a, you know, there's ugly things in these, the attic, sure, go, go, go to bed, you know. <laughs> and she saw them many times. Uh, they would open the doors, peek out at her. Um, Sometimes they were behind her and peeked out. Um, and um, uh, others would peer out, too. Uh, um, well, Bill, let's take a break you know, right here. Stuff. We'll come back with uh, a oh, conclusion okay. for this troll story here. Sorry, we got on trolls, but the trolls are fascinating. Yeah, this is uh, Bill Hall. And uh, if you go to halloftheparanormal.com, You'll find his website. Again, that's halloftheparanormal.com. He's the co-author with Jimmy Pettinito of Phantom Messages, Chilling Phone Calls, Letters, Emails, and Texts from Unknown Realms. We'll be right back with more conversation with Bill Hall, with my friends Colleen and Jim, and you guys and gals all over the world. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. And walked on to a cloud Looked down and spun myself around And had to laugh out loud Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska. KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. 
More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Next week's guest is going to be Paul Blake Smith. He's got a brand new book out called JFK and the Willard Hotel Plot. We've got a rest of year list of guests, and we're now booking February and March of 2019. We've got a lot of great shows coming up for you. Uh, as of October 27th, we are exploring unexplained phenomena for 34 years of broadcast. Uh, we are the longest-running paranormal talk radio program in the world, and we've got uh, maybe another 34 years in us. So uh, it's been a great, uh, great ride so far. Our guest this morning is the co-author of the book, Phantom Messages, with Jimmy Pettitino, Pettinito. It's uh, Bill Hall. And we just had, uh, as our opening segment guest, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. This is what Rosemary said about Bill Hall's book. Mind-boggling mystery messages from the dead, spirits, entities, our future selves, and more, all guaranteed to prickle your skin and make you realize that our reality has no boundaries. Starting this book is like taking a chip out of the bag. You can't stop until you're done. A great read and a researcher's dream. Our good friend and colleague, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, talking about phantom messages. Uh, Bill, uh, more on the troll story. I mean, there's a point at which these trolls actually try to go after Stacy, right? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, um, and uh, typical as uh, the lore is of the uh, of the you know capturing the children and um, that uh, actually was dragging her uh, tried a few times to drag her um, out of her bed, uh, and this happened in two different homes. Um, once it was uh, uh, trying to drag her out of the bed from uh, the eaves uh, of the attic in, in the one home. And then after moving, uh, it was, uh, they tried uh, to, uh, they actually succeeded in getting Roseanne uh, pulled out of her bed. There was a few of them, uh, but they can't, they were in the closet, or at least that's where they appeared to come from. And um, she managed to wriggle away, you know, the, uh, away at the last minute, and um, and they all scampered back into the closet, and then, you know, uh, you know, they were gone. But yeah, there were other incidents, and again, it was it's multiple houses, um, and you know, they haven't had any since. Um, 
I don't know if that's because they're grown up and they're too big for trolls now. They're going to go after somebody who's small. I mean, they couldn't grab Stacy off the bed and drag her in there. They're too small, you know. She she beat them up. But, Jacques, uh, Jacques Vallée has, uh, has written a lot about the UFO mystery, Bill. You're uh, undoubtedly yeah, yeah, aware of his yeah. work. And what struck yeah. me about reading this troll story is that um, Vallée's talked about abductions, and he said, you know, this form of contact, direct interaction, goes back into millennial, and that the protagonists that are acting upon the human is described as as something or somebody from their uh, their place and time, their their nomenclature, their customs, their language, the area of the world, their ethnicity, uh, and it sort of always stays with the the person as they go through the uh, development, as time progresses, as years pass. So they might have been yeah. they might have been fairies uh, hundreds of years ago, and right. now people call them um, occupants of UFOs. But he makes a pretty eloquent argument that. This form of contact where they're trying to, to take somebody has been going on for a long time. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I mean, <clears throat> and that's why I'm, I'm always careful when I say trolls, um, even though we give some of the history in the book and stuff, you know, the, of the lore as a setup. But, I mean, the reality is <clears throat> it's a word used to describe. But there are certain themes that are... Uh, you know, the same as, as you just mentioned that go way, way back. Um, you know, the, uh, LA, he talks about, uh, Robert, uh, uh Reverend, uh, Kirk's work, you know, a Walker between worlds, which, which I've read, uh, <clears throat> where they talk about these little elves that, uh, uh, that shoot cows with, uh, arrows or they call it elf shot. You know, they're after the cows. Um, and and that they have uh, torches that have uh, that they have torches that can turn on and off, um, which sounds like a flashlight, you know. So it has these some of these startling, eloquent things in it. Um, but on the other hand, it also has you know ninety percent of garbage in it too. So it's it's hard to know if they happen. You know, if when, for example, I'm just using this one tome as an example, out of that whole book, if they happen to hit, happen to hit a few things that coincided with, you know, uh, UFO stuff, uh, we could be retrofitting it. However, it's also kind of odd. <laughs> you know, you got to admit, it's kind of hot. And if you hear it, if you have that now from a number of sources, uh, throughout history, like you said, the theories of uh, yesterday or the demons or, you know, is it a demon? Is it a UFO? Is it, as a matter of fact, uh, in one of the phantom messages, um, uh, the biggest phantom message of all, the Doblinson case, um, that's how the Thomas from, uh, you know, basically 400 years ago, that's how he described um, the, the visitor that gave him the quote-unquote computer that he called a light box. And he, he thought it was the devil. You know, everybody sees it as they do. But then he said, I realized it wasn't. Now, was that it? Was it an alien? 
was alien to him. We know that, but we don't really know, you know. So, uh, yeah, so I agree. You know, I think, uh, you know, many different names, of course, for, for many of these. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, Mark, Mark but, uh, Macy is a friend and colleague of ours who lives in Colorado, and he was one of the early researchers into uh, um, uh, uh, ITC uh, and working with, with messages yeah. received from uh, people that had departed as well as uh, colleagues who said they were going to try to, to do something once they had passed. And one of his stories is about Konstantin Rodov, who, uh, after his death, basically called Mark, and they had about a 20-minute conversation on the phone. Uh, we've got, uh, as I read this book, I thought about a story that, that I'd like to share with you here, Bill. Uh, Jim, sure. Jim and I uh, knew this gentleman uh, his name was Dale Bacon, mm-hmm. and Dale was a former co-host on this program. He uh, was a history buff and had an interest in uh, Nebraska history uh, and had heard about the North Platte Canteen, North Platte, Nebraska, and this building was near the uh, train tracks. During World War II, troop trains would come through and refuel uh, and let the guys and gals off for a short period of time. So they would wander into this uh, canteen, which is almost like a USO building, and these incredible women of central Nebraska, despite rationing, had baked thousands of dozens of cookies and cakes and pies and baked items, and they would say, you know, here, soldier, here's something from us. We love you, and thank you so much for you know, your work in defending our country. And so for a lot of these guys and gals that were either coming from the theater of war or going to the theater of war, this is really a memorable stop, uh, North Platte Canteen. So, Jim, if you jump in anytime you want to here. Oh, you're doing fine. Okay. So in the 1990s, he goes to North Platte, and uh, he's really curious about trying to find this building, uh, Bill. So he drives down into the train yards, and he drives around, and he finds the building, and he walks in, and there is a group of uh, older women across the room. It's basically a big open room, and one of them gets up and comes over and and greets Dale and talks to him. Uh, I believe that that she invites him to sign a guest book, Mm -hmm. so he signs the, the guest book, and she tells him a short thumbnail sketch of the North Platte Canteen and its history. He knew most of that already. So after about five minutes, he's in this big open room. He's basically seen the inside of it. So he leaves and thanks the the woman and and takes off. He's back out there about six months later with his girlfriend, Linda Keith. And he says, Linda, I just... Yeah. He says, I've got to show you this building that I was just at. It's part of Nebraska history. And Bill, they drove all over the train yards. Somebody that they stopped and asked said, you're probably confusing this with the historical society. No, but we'll, we'll, we'll go try there. So he went to the historical society and said he was looking for the building, the North Platte Canteen. He'd just been in it six months earlier. And the person was shocked. And they said, Mr. Bacon, you couldn't possibly have been in this building because it was torn down in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That happens a lot in flap areas. Um, that happened uh, in the area where Haunted House Diaries is written in that area of that house. Yeah, the, the, I call it the vanishing, you know, the vanishing house. Tell the, tell and, the listeners uh, what that term flap area means. What does that mean? Oh, well, paranormal flap area is just a term we use for a particular area that has a heightened level of um, paranormal activity, uh, which is most likely due to a heightened level of electromagnetic energy or whatever other components are the perfect uh, mix. Um, and, you know, the, the Native Americans, I mean, they used to seek out these areas. They knew how to find them. And they, they specifically would say, you know, we're finding these areas, uh, the, the places where we can best communicate with our ancestors. Not, I don't believe they necessarily were even really communicating with their ancestors, but it, they certainly could have been communicating with a lot of things. Um, uh, or maybe even some ancestors, why not, you know? But, um, and of course, these places a lot of times were uh, near water anyhow, which is, of course, you'd want to settle the flow of water. Seems to be uh, another ingredient, but again, we obviously don't know them all. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, so flap area is just something we use to say it's, a, you know, a heightened area. Uh, a lot of times they'll call it a triangle. Um, you know, like the Bermuda Triangle, they'll just try to triangulate the the experiences, but there's no there's no line that you step over and now you're out of the flap. You know, it's just a it's just an arbitrary uh, you know area, and sometimes you can kind of tell where it kind of ends just because it's wherever your last reported event was. You know, if it doesn't go outside of that, um, then you kind of mark that as the end. Just mm-hmm. that may be too much on it, but just to give an idea, you know. So again, it kind of goes back to that idea that John Keel had of a window area where there's a higher than normal concentration of activity, and uh, one would think it would be distributed evenly throughout an area, but it appears to be really concentrated in one area, and that would be a flap area that people would, uh, in that area, typically, Bill, they would experience a whole variety of phenomena. It wouldn't just be, for example, ghosts. Or it wouldn't just right. be lights in the sky. Uh, there's a whole bunch of yeah, stuff everything. going on. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a whole lot of a lot of stuff going on. I mean, quantum physics. Uh, if you're a multi multiverse fan of the most popular theory, the many worlds theory, they would say that that is a uh, uh, parallel world intersect. That multiple universes aren't. Out, up there or out there, they all exist within the same space. And um, there's times when they quote unquote intersect. We're, we're, and that uh, the old term would be the veil is thin. Uh, the the you know the curtain between the worlds, you know all that stuff. Quantum physics would say that multiple universes. And so some of what we see for activity. Um, when we see a flap area uh, could be, or, or any paranormal experience, they, w- they would consider that an intersect. It doesn't have to be like a giant intersect. It could be an intersect that causes the paranormal experience for you. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe somebody else in that area, but as far as you know, it's something that happened to you. It, you know, that could be an intersect. That's how you would describe it in quantum physics terms. Um, which I think is the best theory, but I wouldn't bet my life on it, you know. <laughs> what, 
what got Bill that. Hall started in all this? Did you have a childhood experience that, that really got your curiosity going? Um, well, as a child, I was uh, fascinated. I saw a magician perform at a, uh, a Christmas party. And I thought that was the most wonderful thing because he did like he did these miracles before me, and I said, you know, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to make these people happy, and you know, and and wow them, you know. And of course, it makes you feel good about yourself. It's a good self-esteem builder, magic, you know. Um, <clears throat> and that's how I got into it. I started doing magic, and so you, you're learning stuff as a kid, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden. Uh, you know, Yuri Geller happens, and, you know, you're looking, and you're like, uh, I'm not buying it, you know? <laughs> and so you're like, let me try to bend the spoon on mine. I'm like, that's BS. And then I'm like, oh, I can see he's bending the key. Oh, God, he's not very good, you know? I mean, even as a child, it's, you know. So, uh, so then it became, but it still was a fascination with me, and I think it's a fascination with, uh, not every magician, because obviously there's many different people that become magicians, but at least in the old thinking of where everybody wasn't a magician, you know, like uh, Houdini's time and everything. I mean, most magicians, even if they didn't believe uh, that there was real magic, they wanted it, you know, because why else are you reproducing it? It's something beautiful. It's something that you want. Uh, so there are uh, a lot of magicians like Houdini that... Um, uh, although was skeptical that he'd ever find it legitimately and objectively, uh, which is very rare, you know, sought out to find it. He didn't want to debunk it. I mean, he ended up debunking everything because, of, unfortunately, he was around the time of spiritualism. So instead of seeing a poltergeist, which would have really, you know, I would have loved to, to, you know, well, of course, I would have loved to meet him anyhow. But, I mean, if I could have taken him to, like, a poltergeist case, he could have gotten some of the answers that he wanted. Not answers, but, you know, he could have seen it. The poor guy wanted to see it, but he was in the age of seances and fortune tellers. And, you know, so everybody coming to him, they're all fake. And um, and it's a shame because here's the guy who really, you know, he, he I mean, he had death uh, packs with about a dozen friends. I'm going to come back. This is going to be my signal. If you use a medium, this is the only words I'm going to use. You know, he had it all prearranged. I mean, this was not a guy who was out to debunk everything. This is a guy who wanted to know, who hoped there was something. He didn't see it, but, you know, he, he hoped somebody could show him, and he and he was open to it, you know. Uh, and his but, legacy uh, lives on, Bill. I don't know if you've heard the story about his mansion, but his mansion is haunted. Um, it's been turned oh, into wow. a recording yeah. studio. And the band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, recorded uh, oh, yeah. a album there. They were friends with a band called Maroon 5. And um, a oh, guy from it. Lincoln, Great. my town, James Valentine, is the guitar player for Maroon 5. So they were going to oh, record cool. there in the mansion. And it was a kind of a bed and breakfast. You could stay there. You know, you could amble down to the recording area, record any time, night or day, go to sleep whenever you wanted to. Wow. Food was there. Just a, a just a dream for a musician. And I believe God, the singer's name is Adam Levine. But he found yeah, out yeah. Yeah. that the mansion was haunted, and he refused to stay there at night. So he, he lived off-site in a hotel and would come to the daily recording sessions and then promptly leave. <laughs> Yeah, well, some people, yeah, I mean, you know, 
uh, yeah, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. You know, plus he's probably figuring, you know, it's going to scare the crap out of me and I'm not going to get any sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, and, uh, you know, when you're in that, I'm a, I'm a, well, I, I hate to say I'm a musician. I, I prefer to say I'm a, a very good songwriter that, that plays, you know, okay bass. And, um, sometimes really hits the mark, you know. <laughs> well, here's, but, uh, as, yeah, a, I mean, as a credo to you as a bass player, play. Bill, here's a, a truism. And I've told, you know, I'm a, I'm a guitar teacher, and I've told my students this, that you can have an incredibly good guitar player and a mediocre drummer and bass player, and the band will flop every time. You can have a right. perfunctory, mediocre guitar player and a really good drummer and bass player the band goes every time, right? So, no, and, and I don't mean I was—I don't mean I was bad, but I hate to say, you know, I was, you know, I let's put it this way: I came close, um, came close to getting contracts twice. Um, at least what I thought was close. You know, nobody knows how many layers, but anyhow, uh, you know, to the point of representation, demo, you know, that kind of thing, and then in the '90s, Warner Brothers and stuff. But the whole back from the bottom of the hour break, tell us about um, a gentleman who had messages appearing on his computer. Uh, Mark Macy has yeah. talked about this. Uh, there was a German researcher that he was aware of that had messages appearing on a computer that was freestanding, not connected to any network or any internet source. And I find this very fascinating. So, uh, fascinating. So, um, Let's take the bottom of the hour break and come back and tell us about that, okay? All right, sounds good. Okay, this is Bill Hall. He's the co-author with Jimmy Pettinito, and the book is called Phantom Messages. Chilling phone calls, letters, emails, and texts from unknown realms. I'm Scott Colborn with Colleen and Jim Shorney, and you guys and gals out there. Jim, how's the coffee doing? Coffee's good. I think I need a refill. How about you? Let's do that. Let's do that. We'll be right back after this. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska. KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child. Start something today at bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. 
Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Enigma from southeast Nebraska. You'll see him around your neck of the woods. And that's the uh, leadoff song, Sky Dancer, from the previous recording called Cobalt. With us is the researcher and author, Bill Hall. And Bill's got uh, a number of books out, The Haunted House Diaries, The World's Most Haunted House. And he's co-authored with Jimmy Petanito, Phantom Messages, Chilling Phone Calls, Letters, Emails, and Texts from Unknown Realms. The website for Bill Hall is halloftheparanormal.com. And for Jimmy Petanito, it's Mr. That's M-R, Mr. Haunted.com. Bill, how about uh, sharing that story from your book, uh, Phantom Messages, about the gentleman who received messages on his computer. Now, uh, there was a few of them. Are you talking about the... the yeah, just uh, pick, pick one. Germany yeah. or Doblinson? Yeah, pick one. Uh, well, uh, Doblinson is... Uh, that's the big one. So you t- That's a huge... Uh, well, well, we'll do that. Uh, might as well talk about Doblinson because um, that I would say is the uh, probably the most fan of messages out of any over 300 uh, in about a 16 month period so um, that probably would be the whopper of fan of messages and this was in Doblinson England and um, it was a uh, young uh, couple uh, that moved uh, in- into this uh, place and they were going to get a little cottage and they're going to uh, renovate it at one point so they're um you know they're lifting up the flooring to the original floor and and they you see where this is going the renovation seemed to be what uh, uh kicked it off in my mind but um so they're um uh, doing this renovation uh and meanwhile they're having a guest to stay with them another student um and so ken and deb that was the couple they get a um uh, he, he goes, Ken gets a uh, computer and brings it back. And this was in 1984, so I mean, there's no internet or anything. He just brought it from school because he's a high school teacher, and he had access to the computers and said, here, this will help you with some of your schoolwork over Thanksgiving break, and he figured he could use it. He could use it to type out band lyrics because he was in a band and stuff, you know, things like that. So he brought it home for the break. And... Um, he uh, he notices there's this weird file on it, and um, and uh, he doesn't uh, he doesn't know what it is. It just uh, it just says KDM, 
uh, like K is in, well, Ken, uh, D is in Debbie, um, you know, M is in, uh, I don't know, Phantom Message. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, so he bring he opens this file and uh, he sees it. It looks like old English. It's got weird capitalization and weird font. It's all like, it's not consistent, you know. And it says, Ken Deb, uh, Nia Trua, the night, timeless, of, you know, goes on like that. And he's like, what the heck is this? And it's got their names in it, you know. Uh, he thought it was some kind of poem written in old old English, you know. Uh, so he prints the screen. He takes it to his buddy Peter, uh, who's a uh, uh, an, an English teacher at the high school. And uh, he looks at it and says, oh, look, this looks like 16th century writing. And he says it's pretty, uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty tough, you know. And um, he actually had to look up, uh, you know, some of the words and things. Um, and um, and so uh, there was a, uh, so Peter said, hey, let's type out a question to whoever it is and see if we can get something else, you know. Um, so they typed out, uh, and again, you know, reminder, 1984, no Internet capability in that computer. Uh, although they did look around the house to see if there's anybody with giant bands that had tons of equipment that it would take to, you know, to hoax something like that. But, you know, uh, that wasn't the case. Um, but um, so they asked. Uh, um, so, yeah, so so they were thinking of uh, asking a, uh, a question, but they got they had another uh, file up here. And so they opened it, and it had a question. It said, does everyone have a horse? That was the question. Uh, so this goes on, this conversation. And um, and they get details from this person who uh, at first says he's someone else and later comes clean and says, no, I'm Thomas Harden. So in other words, he really didn't know who he was talking to. So he didn't, you know, he, he gave partially true information and they researched it. And when they called him on it, he said, no, it was actually this, but, and then he gave all the right information and that, that all checked. But anyhow, he, he, from there on, he was uh, Thomas Harden and um, they were pretty convinced it was him. You know, Ken through the whole experience says, you know, in the end, we don't know who the heck we were talking to or what, but, but he does think Thomas was uh, genuine and, uh, so he's talking on the computer back and forth, and uh, a whole bunch of bizarre things happen. There's some uh, poltergeist things happening in the house, like furniture piled up, things like that, which uh, Thomas has nothing to do with. Thomas's place appears to be haunted, too. So it's like the two different so – it's like a time slip, you know. Thomas uh, lived in that cottage originally. Um uh, a whole bunch of things happen. Um, Ken shows him a picture of what a car looks like. It, he cuts it out and he puts it near the computer. And when he returns, the picture's all like old, like it aged. You know, um, really, really strange. Um, so I'm going to interject here, Bill, yeah. and to remind the listeners yeah, that, no, that this please. computer is not hooked up to the internet. It's a freestanding no, computer. No, and so if we take this couple at their word that they aren't part of a elaborate hoax if we take them at the word 
That means that these messages over a period of time are appearing on the computer from someplace, and as you just said, the couple could place items near the computer, not manually enter it, but near the computer, and then they would get a message back referencing that object, that document, that paper they'd put next to the computer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and there was, and there was, uh, they also had phantom letters. So they felt like they didn't really know how Thomas was communicating. It, it, uh, it, it seems apparent he was not typing in anything, even though he, he had what he called the light box there. So it looked like he had a computer, but it wasn't a solid computer for him. It was very strange. So, but, so it, clearly he was not typing. I don't know if it's telepathic or by voice. At one time, Thomas's girlfriend's over. She's singing, and the words that she's singing ends up typing out on the computer. Um, so we know for a fact that that was communicated without any typing. So, you know, my guess is that he did, because somebody would say, well, how could he sit down at a computer and type and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I, I don't think he did that at all. I don't know how it happened, but, you know. So, but there was also letters. And Occam's, uh, left Occam's razor might be that, okay, this is some sort of an elaborate ploy with uh, M6, British intelligence, that they've got this computer that surreptitiously they've got a, a wire, a connecting cord somehow that goes out of this room into buried underground, a house next door, whatever, and the British agents are over there with a telescope, and they've got microphones in this couple's cottage so that when she starts singing, then they enter those words that she's singing into the computer, and that's the way that they can place files in that. And you go through this elaborate sort of protocol of trying to explain this, and then you say, why? Why would they do this, exactly? That's stupid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. It's good that the mind goes there, but then you're mm -hmm. like, this is ridiculous. And you know what's funny is one of the most pressing questions Thomas had was uh, he didn't know what the material was of the object of the uh, thing on the desk. So, and that's wild. Uh, it was plastic. He didn't know what plastic was. That was his most pressing question. That and does everybody, you know, have horses? And, you know, he had like normal questions, but that was the one that, it, that did it for me before I even know what I know now. Uh, that did it for me saying this is, and not only did I know it was legitimate, it was, uh, you know, I, I've read the vertical uh, plane, which was Ken's uh, book on it. And I can tell you that, uh, um, no offense to Ken, he's not a bad writer, but I mean, he's not a Stephen King. It's not like oh he would have he would have uh, uh, he 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 put that in the book so that it would make it look more genuine. Mm -hmm. No, I mean it's ridiculous. It's not. He wouldn't have put a lot of stuff in that book if he wanted. If his sole purpose was to look legitimate, Bill, uh, I, I think he regrets he, he regrets a lot of it. But I mean the the point is he, he by telling the truth, you know how crazy the paranormal could sound, you know. Let's come back after this break and pick another story for us and, and tell us about something else from your interesting book, Phantom Messages. Oh, will do. This is our last break before the top of the hour. Mesoterra comes your way at 12 noon. We'll be right back with more conversation 
with Bill Hall. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from The Bay, The Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, and The Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. Saturday, November 9th brings Sun Squabby and Marvel Years to The Bourbon Theater starting at 9. That's all happening This Week in Lincoln. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Next week's guest is Paul Blake Smith. His brand new book, JFK and the Willard Hotel Plot. We're finishing up the program with Bill Hall. He is the co-author with Jimmy Pettinito of the book Phantom Messages. Chilling phone calls, letters, emails, and texts from unknown realms. And uh, do you have another story that you can share with us? Uh yeah, uh, actually, I have a bunch of them. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do a. Uh, you know, we hear about um, just a few quick ones. Uh, there's ones where a uh, deceased person um, calls up, and uh, there's an answer machine message as a result, and the person is uh, deceased. Uh, there are also cases where um, where somebody where it's the living phantom messaging the living where somebody thinks they're going to call or, or means to call but knows they didn't and then the other person got the message anyhow and even has their voice on voicemail but in all these cases they swear they did not make a phone call so I, I don't know what that is but I just wanted to share a few uh, of those uh, just quick snippets um, I do want to share a time slip story which is well you can you can argue that a lot of them are time slip stories but I mean this is one uh, that clearly is fascinating because it's a uh, rarely, if ever, talked about um, uh, phenomenon, phantom messages. And um, uh, this story uh, we called the Calls from the Future, Predict 9-11, and, and what happened about about a month or so before 9-11. Um, uh, and this was uh, David Fritz, and um, he, uh, he gets this uh, message on his cell phone last three minutes long and he listens to it and he hears um wind uh metal crashing <clears throat> people screaming you know like the sound of a disaster scene but it's not what he hears that's so uh crazy it's how he feels he instantly feels uh, feeling a dread a sickness you know just overcoming his entire body feeling of feeling weak feeling he just you know just really reacted to it you know you get a phone call and you, you know even if somebody was screaming in my ear it might shock me for a second and then i'm like oh the tv's on or something weird's going on but this had a much much deeper uh you know <clears throat> reaction so uh 
naturally he's perplexed. So he says, okay, I'll let my girlfriend listen to it and some friends. So he plays in the message. And they all have that same feeling. In fact, one girl couldn't even listen to it all message. She had to leave. So he keeps getting these messages every day, every morning. They, uh, exactly three minutes, they go to voicemail. He can't figure out where they're coming from. He, he, he can't get a return number. The, the cell phone company can't help him. Nobody knows where these are coming from. So he gets stuck at it, and he switches. Uh, he not only switches cell phones, he switches carriers, too. And the calls stop until the morning uh, that the towers fell. About an hour before, he gets the exact same phone call, three minutes, goes straight to voicemail. He gets it on his new cell phone with his new carrier, that same message. He listens to it. Again, he's like, oh, you know, what is going on? And then uh, an hour or two later, the towers fell. And, boy, he just looked at it and said, oh, my God. This is what I was hearing. And, um, eerie story. That, yeah, that kind of, there's another one where uh, a guy hears himself die on the phone and, and he knows it's him. And the girlfriend knows it's him too. And yet he never says a word. He's just on a respirator. So, I mean, the time slip stories uh, are interesting because I think that, yeah, well, that kind of supports, well, anybody's theory of, of, whether you want to call it portal, window, multiverse, you know, whatever, you know, uh, that washing between uh, of those elements. And I don't think they necessarily need an agent. Like, I don't think anyone was trying to warn anyone. Like some people, common question that we get in lectures is, well, why would, why would something send that message if you can't prevent it? And I think the answer is, I don't think it was sent by anyone for that purpose. I think it, 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 I think it was just a massive disaster that permeated, the, you know, whatever you want to call it, dimensions, worlds, or whatever. And, uh, and sometimes you get that, you know, kind of like a Gettysburg kind of, somebody sees stuff at Gettysburg, you know, any of those tragic, you know, it's, you know, it's not new news to any of you or any of your listeners, but I mean, that kind of thing. Um, I think it would be more likely that I could be wrong, of course, but uh, I don't think everything needs an agent. I think we kind of try to figure out like who's behind it or what it is. But I think sometimes it's, it, it could just be a result of the washing together of the energies or, you know, it could be something that's really not directed as good or bad or intentional by anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so what does Bill Hall do in his spare time for fun and for enjoyment? Oh, boy. Uh, I know you've I got two I sons. Had, I didn't know I had spare time. Uh, no, <laughs> not yet. I have a 22-year-old and a 26-year-old. Actually, I might have just turned 20. I'm at, I'm, I'm at the age of starting to have trouble remembering their ages. Right around the cusp of when they have birthdays. But, uh, yes, I have two uh, grown children, wonderful, um, and um, I, uh, I play guitar. That's, uh, some, that's one of my uh, relaxing things, and uh, magic, I, I tr- I've been out of practice. I'm trying to get back into that because when I lecture and then it comes up in my background and then people want to see a trick, and I'm like, oh, I'm out of practice. <laughs> but, uh, and... Uh, and people like psychic stuff, too. And, you know, the other thing about psychic uh, magic, you, you have to remember, Scott, is as you get older, uh, you can't cheat if you can't see. So you got to 
<laughs> you got to really stay on top of that, you know. That's when I realized I needed mm-hmm. uh, glasses when I was doing predictions somewhere. I was predicting what they writ- wrote down, but I couldn't read their writing. Uh, <laughs> obviously, I cheated. So, but um, yeah, that's when you know you need glasses. So I would say magic and, and music, and uh, anytime I can get together with people or friends, or uh, I'm hoping uh, to do an investigation with Jimmy. That really would be what I would most want to do with our spare time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're hoping to get some, so because that'll be that would be a neat thing uh, for a future book. This is uh, book number three, I believe, for you. Do you have another one in the, in the works, in the hopper, or do you have a, something that you'd like to do to give us kind of a yeah, glimpse of maybe a future project? Uh, well, actually, Jimmy and I, um, uh, our next uh, book uh, uh, is going to be uh, Phantom Children. So we're going to look at um, uh, all the creepy crawlers, and the whole gamut of that experience from black-eyed kids to ghost children to um, uh, all sorts of other things that are coming up. Uh, weird invisible friends, you know, invisible friends that uh, uh, m- might be invisible but not imaginary, you know. <laughs> so it's uh, Phantom Children will be the next uh, one, and we're hoping to, we're hoping to get that out next year. Uh, to coincide with uh, Hostess and Devil 2, which uh, Jimmy will be starring in and I'll be appearing in. And um, that that comes out next year, too. So that's uh, I'm very excited for Jimmy, and uh, he was kind enough to, um, to force them to, to meet me. And, um, you know, despite the restraining orders, they they met me. No. <laughs> uh, no, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, we have a lot going on, and that's, uh, that's what's uh, next. Um, you know, we're always trying to uh, do bigger and better, um, but very happy about Phantom Messages. I felt that it truly was something different, uh, and uh, I did get a chance to also, you know, the bibliography and everything. Um, you know, there's some great reading in there. You know, Callum Cooper's uh, work on phone calls from the dead, uh, was not only a huge inspiration, but was one of the one of the reference books I used uh, to lead us. Actually, that led us to Doblinson. I think he only wrote like a paragraph about it. I said, "Oh my God!" and and uh, that led uh, more to us revisiting that. And uh, and that's where uh, Gary Rose speaks out for the first time on it because he actually switched computers. I mean, he was the investigator there, and it changed his life. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, well, Bill, I so want to thank you very much for being on the show today, yeah. and thanks very much for taking time from your weekend activities to be with us. Okay. Um, I uh, read the book in uh, about two sittings, and on both those, it was really hard to put down because the book was just relentless. Once you figured out that you've got a story, then there's the next one. And what Bill and Jimmy do, folks, is at the end of each story, they have a synopsis where they try to organize uh, the story, talk about where it came from, some possibilities. Um, I found it very readable. So, Scott, can I say something? Uh, I uh, I want to thank Bill and Jimmy for putting a couple of ham radio stories into the book. As you know, that is near and dear to my heart. So uh, thanks a lot. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, we we tried to hit everything. Yeah, and if, so, if yeah, uh, and actually, 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 those are some of my favorites. So. If you ever those need to consult cool. uh, consult with someone on uh, ham radio stuff, be, feel free to drop me a line. 
Darn, where were you when I was doing this book? I was right here. Where were I'm you? coming out with these beautiful <laughs> phrases. You're an expert in this. I'm meeting everybody we needed to meet beforehand. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's use this as a time slip and go back and rewrite the book now. You bet. Okay, yeah, Jim, thanks for that mention there. Jim is a ham radio guy. He's got a big history, and so he would be a great source for you. Uh, we're out of time, Bill, so I yeah. want to thank you again very much for being here. Yeah, so thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Bill Hall, his website is easy to find. It's literally, it's halloftheparanormal.com. And Jimmy Petanito is Mr. That's M-R Haunted, mrhaunted.com. You'll find Bill Hall and Jimmy Petanito also on Facebook. Thanks very much, and I wish them really well with their brand new book, Phantom Messages, Chilling Phone Calls, Letters, Emails, and Texts from Unknown Realms. Uh, Paul Blake Smith, our friend and colleague, is back next week with a brand new book, JFK and the Willard Hotel Plot. Do we have guests lined up through February? The answer sure, is yes. Yeah. We've got some great folks coming up here. As always. Um, again, Jim and Colleen, thanks so much for being here. Oh, um, it's so much fun. Yeah. You're welcome. Sure appreciate you guys. And thanks to Ryan Evans for uh, running the board last week while I was off playing in Laughlin, Nevada. Ladies and gentlemen, 34 years of broadcast. We're having lots of fun, and we appreciate you being out there. And happy birthday, Scott. Well, <laughs> yes, thank, happy birthday. Thanks yeah. so much. Okay, stay tuned for Vic with Mesoterra. He's up right after this. I'm Scott Colborne. Until next week, walk in beauty.